Welcome to episode seven of the Lisa Fisher Said podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or camera since the mid-1980s. I think of myself as the go-to for all things Little Rock and Arkansas, but I also like learning about other people and what they have to offer. That's why I started a podcast. My guests for this episode are two people I worked with on a recent episode of Twisted Sisters on the ID channel. Caitlin Cutt is a true crime TV and podcast producer. She co-hosts her own true crime podcast called Pretty Scary, which can be found anywhere you get your podcast. And Josh Kessler is a fancy twice Emmy nominated producer and director who's worked with some of the top production companies and networks in the entertainment industry, ranging from Netflix to Amazon, along with the ID channel. He worked most recently as co-executive producer for Twisted Sisters and the episode known as the Weaver episode that is titled In Her Own Medicine. You'll get to meet them right after this. In this day and age of social media and big box stores, you know what we all miss? Customer service. That's why I want to direct your attention to Brandy Harp, the principal broker at John Underhill Real Estate. It's a boutique real estate agency here in Little Rock, Arkansas. And it's the one that wins award after award after award. It's the one where people say, oh, I really wish they put their name on a sign in my yard. And especially with these historically low rates, people are selling houses. Brandy Harp's name is all over them. A friend of mine just used her. They've been buying and selling homes for 35 years. They said they've never had the customer service they had when they worked with Brandy Harp and John Underhill Real Estate. You can get more information by clicking the banner ad on my website and do it right now. It's at lisafishersaid.com. We're talking true crime today and the ID channel. And that's one thing you've been watching during 2020, I'm sure. Uh, The other thing has probably been those fixer up type TV shows on HGTV. I've got a name for you because you're looking around your house going, this place is a dump. (laughs) Richard Harp Homes. Call Richard. Talk to him about your dream. It might be making your bathroom into something from this century. If you still have brown or avocado green, I'm telling you, it's time. You should have called Richard yesterday. But it might be just that you want to turn that carport or garage into a media room. Richard Harp Homes can help you. The thing about Richard is he's got the financial mind, so he wants to make sure you stay under budget. And that's a great thing to hear is you're under budget. Sometimes even because of his magical powers, he gets it done in less time than he thought it would. Richard has a great reputation. Find out more by going to my website and looking for the banner at lisafishersaid.com, Richard Harp Homes. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. All right, I've got the band all back together, as if we were ever a band. But I've got Josh Kessler, who's in the room, and we say that in the podcasting space, and Caitlin Cutts here as well. And um, they were a part of the team that produced a TV show last night that I hope millions of you watched, and it's Twisted Sisters. Now, Josh, you've been a part of this Twisted Sisters probably longer than Caitlin has, right? Uh, actually, we started together on season three. So, we, oh. uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, there's two previous seasons and, and what's 
different about this season is that it's mainly a different team, same production company. Um, but a lot of the original producers weren't on this season. So it was kind of starting fresh and looking and trying to keep intact everything that the first couple seasons were um, and kind of just going with it. Okay. We're going to talk about a lot of things that are involved in a production like what we did last night. It was Twisted Sisters, of course. Um, I had a little part of it. And my first foray was you, Caitlin. So, Caitlin, what was your role? Because I know you have a new job now, but what was your role through this season, this third season of Twisted Sisters? (laughs) Well, um, great question. Uh, My role is called associate producer, but I like to call myself a bird dog. So what happens is um, we get certain stories cleared by the network and, uh, you know, Josh does this as well. We dive into the details of the story. We request, uh, you know, police reports, all sorts of things. And we try to find people who can tell our stories, you know, for our for our viewers. And um, I found you, Lisa, because one of the things that we love doing for the show is bringing on a local journalist. Uh, you know, they really add important local flavor, all of that kind of a thing. Um, and I was lucky enough to just be scrappy enough to find you. <laughs> you are scrappy. <laughs> so, yeah, we I, I contacted a couple different local news outlets and things like that, some local personalities. And they, you know, it's how I washed up on your shores calling you randomly one day. <laughs> that's all it took. And we yeah. both, lo- we both love Seinfeld. We do. It's a, so, it was a big moment uh, yeah. right away. We connected on that and that was, that was special. So Josh, um, this episode aired last night, we worked together in May I can't do math as we'll talk about later, five or six months ago, but how long before I got a, I got kind of the outline of what you're working on. Were you on this project, Josh? We started the season in February. Wow. Um, And so, you know, I I like to call Caitlin, you know, uh, she's a pit bull. (laughs) She is. She's a pit bull. She's, um, you know, she tracks down facts of the case and and, um, lines up uh, all the participants that we're going to have that were a part of the show. Um, and she kind of schedules and organizes that. Um, and so, you know, it, it's kind of, um, it, it's a big team, you know, I think people real think, oh, it's easy. There's only a couple of people that are involved in a production, but there, there's a, a tremendous amount of people. Uh, and we all work together as a team and present it to the network, get approval on it. And then once we get the green light, it's kind of, let's schedule it. Let's try to book everybody and let's go, go, go. Um, so, you know, there's, there's sometimes up to 30 people that are working on a production, if not more. Uh, so it's it's a major operation and the production company's 44 Blue Productions. Um, and we kind of uh, go off their guidance. They're a great company, very well established, um, led by a husband and wife team, Rasha and Stephanie Drakovich. Um, and they're just great leaders. Uh, all their yes. programming is amazing. Oh, my um, gosh. We, Josh and I so many times. And this is not like lip service. This is honest to God, the truth. Josh and I. You know, one of the thing that I want to put in perspective for everyone is that we were in production pre-COVID. Uh, we were in pre-production pre-COVID, which in some ways, well, actually in many ways, ended up being a huge blessing for us. Um, 
But then we had to transition into a fully work from home, you know, enterprise. And that 44 Blue handled that with so much grace and um, love and respect for everyone's time. You know, everybody suddenly was working from home with their kids, which, (laughs) you know, Josh has a baby. I have a baby. That was one of the things Josh and I. Oh, sorry. It's my and dog. you have a dog. I have a dog. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, there, she's muting. This is I the got, beauty of a podcast. Okay, you're I, back. I'm back. Um, it was just, it was, it was special because we really found a way to work together remotely. Um, and I don't think that it would have gone together as smoothly if 44 Blue hadn't have handled it the way they did. Because this is all top down stuff. You know, if you're working for a crazy person... Yeah, you go true. crazy. Yeah, true. <laughs> that's that, the way it goes. That's exactly how that goes. So in February, when you this is your first time to work on this episode, this series, Twitsed Sisters. Um, so what was life like then? You all went to the there's something called an office, <laughs> from what I hear. Long you, time ago, right, right, back when the earth cooled, and you went to this thing called an office. And then, you know, who who spearheads it, Josh? Is that your role? Um, well, it, it's it's twofold. Um, you know, we have the owners of the company, Rasha and Stephanie Drakovich, um, who are, like I said, um, amazing. And then you have David Hale, who's one of the executive producers. Uh, Bob Weiss is another executive producer. And, and Bob kind of spearheads the day to day. So he's the person that we kind of report to. He's he's a pro. He's been working in the industry for probably um, um, over 20 years, I would say. And um, and then everything kind of ripples down from that. Um, and, you know, once we're assigned a story and, and team up, um, we just kind of piece it together. I think it's kind of secondhand. We've been doing this so long. We we know the process. We know the scheduling. We line up experts like yourself. Um, and then we just pull the trigger and go. But like Caitlin said, this was extremely unusual because of COVID. It's the first time that we've had to adapt in production um, extensively. And, you know, COVID has really affected Hollywood and entertainment. I mean, devastated. Um, So I think Caitlin and I feel really blessed because we were with a company that really cared about uh, its employees and and took action. And, And it was funny because... Caitlin and I were sitting across from each other in an office and we would, you know, on the news, you'd hear all these crazy reports, this virus, China, uh, and we'd just look at each other and everybody else, everybody else was trying to downplay everything. And Caitlin and I were just kind of eyeballing each other going, oh, something does not feel right about this. And then sure enough, mid-March, they made the announcement that we were going to work from home. Um, and so that was a whole different level and component to putting this all together because Lisa, usually I would have flown out to little rock. I would have been there with you with the camera operator and we would have been, I would have sat across from your zebra couch. Yes. uh, My famous zebra, zebra couch, couch, which should have an Instagram, uh, you know, dedicated to it. That couch should have its own celebrity status. By the time this episode's over, it's done. I'm so excited. So we would have been there with you, but we had to adapt and do it remotely. And, you know, that presented a lot of different challenges. And and the amazing thing is, is that everybody kind of jumped in. They were gung ho to make it work, uh, even though that it wasn't the easiest thing to do. 
And it was amazing the results, I think, that we were able to pull, able to pull off at the yeah. time. Everything was seamless and my um, communication with you all, you and I, Josh would have to do Zoom calls or FaceTime. And in fact, that's, that's how you interviewed me. But when I even did audio in my home, it was just done seamlessly. So um, kudos to that. Let's talk about then how, how many episodes are in this season or any season of Twisted Sisters? This season has eight episodes. Um, and... Uh, we, you know, Weaver is episode two. One thing I wanted to bring up that's really funny is I have such a strong memory of getting the day that we got the court. Uh, I'm so sorry. The police reports for Weaver was a day where COVID stuff was like really, really going down, like really going down. <laughs> so I remember distinctly looking up at Josh and saying, well, I have some good news. <laughs> We have a police report, you know, and, and, you know, the other thing I want to put into perspective for people. So I'm assuming you have true crime fan listeners. um, Yes. Yeah. yeah. Everyone does. And the world is made of true crime fans. Right. And, you know, I started in this world as a fan. I mean, that's how this all started for me. I watched the first season of Twisted Sisters just because I wanted to, you know, and Um, I've had a real through the looking glass experience putting, you know, these shows together. And one of the big anxieties that we had going into our transition with COVID is that a huge legal aspect behind what we do is requesting records. Mm -hmm. And as everyone knows, public buildings, I mean, (laughs) Josh and I had so many conversations like, how are we going to get these pieces of information to put our show together. I mean, it really mm. did feel like a miracle, honestly, on so many levels that, that that everything came together. Well, Josh, let's go back for people who missed the episode and you must watch it. It is a really good episode and that has nothing to do with my appearance or involvement. It's a great Not, not sto- true. Not no, true. You no, are no, no, fantastic no. Well, in this. <laughs> thank you. But it's a great story. Josh, let kind of tell the details of the story because we're the it's the day after. We don't want to have a spoiler alerts a part of it, but tell what you know. Oh, there's so much we found out on this <laughs> yeah. story. Uh it, it's so so many different levels. Um, well, first off, if you've watched the show, you know, some of the things that stand out, obviously. The fact, and this was like in in the literally like 23rd hour, um, Caitlin calls and goes, oh, my God, finally, the lead detective of the case called me back. Steve Moore. Yeah, Steve um, Moore. With Little Rock uh, PD. And we were kind of just cheering because, you know, it's so important in a crime show, obviously, to have a lead detective or or an investigative voice that can kind of move the story forward. And so when we got Steve Moore, it was kind of the cherry on top, I think. Um, and Steve, obviously a very highly decorated uh, mm-hmm. officer in, in Little Rock, great guy. And, you know, this was at the very beginning of his career that this case happened. And as I think he says in the episode, you know, I had a lot of gang violence experience and homicides here and there, but I never had uh, a case of this nature where one sister poisons the other and it you know it was really chilling after we interviewed we drove around the neighborhood where um jean uh lived and and georgia spent a lot of time at her house and lived there at times and just driving around that neighborhood in twin lakes 
it, it just, you know, even though we were remote, we're in the car with him as we experienced Lisa driving to the cemetery. Um, and it just gave you chills as he's passing by the house and explaining what took place in this house. Um, and so it, it really is. You, you have this complicated story of this big plumber family uh, led by Bertie and George Plummer. And that's who we visited at the cemetery that day. Um, and they had 10 children and, you know, they were a loving family from, from the outside, all intents and purposes. And Jean was the matriarch of the family. She was the person everyone turned to. Um, and Georgia kind of used Jean, it seemed like, um, with throughout her life and ultimately, you know, poisoned her and betrayed her. And I think Lessa Blondie, who was uh, one of the lawyers in the show, mm -hmm. he, he's fantastic because he he's just talks in these. Uh, there's a rat in the room, but but I don't see it. And, <laughs> right. You know, uh, something rotten in West uh, Little Rock. He, he just it was one quote after another that he was giving. But he just said that, you know, poisoning somebody, it, it's one of the, like the most psychotic ways of killing some someone because you're there you're watching it it's over mm. days uh and and i think he says it's just short of a, a serial killer mm -hmm. um and in this case you know uh gene wasn't the only one poisoned there were other people that were um poisoned and got sick and and were deathly ill and and luckily they survived but um it, it's just you know we we deal with a lot of cases where you deal with gun violence um, the knife stabbings, uh, which are also brutal. I mean, they're all brutal. That's the thing. But poisoning, there's something very evil and sadistic to be able to be there and watch and almost pretend to be the nurse as Georgia. Oh, let me help you. Let me take you to the hospital uh, and then try to cover up all the tracks afterwards or before and afterwards. Um, so I, I'm kind of doing I'm hoping people do watch the episode so they understand a little bit better. But it, it's a fascinating case. And Caitlin did an amazing job researching it because this case goes back uh, what to the 20s? I mean, it goes back 100 years ago. It's yeah, it, it was pretty nuts digging through that family history, um, mostly because, like Josh said, you know, you've got 10 siblings. And if you think about it, that's 10 different families putting down roots. And it was it was a tangled mess in a lot of ways because, uh, you know, everybody in this family lived a colorful life, every single person. Um, so it was interesting making those calls and, you know, having those conversations. Well, you said the 20s, there was a small math error <laughs> that I had committed that thankfully, because of post-production, we could um, eradicate from your memories. But um, math's just not my strong suit, in case you're wondering. So it was, it was 100 years ago that we know this family began. But Caitlin, when I walked through the cemetery that day, Josh, you know, was following us. Um, the photographer and I, Craig and I were together walking through. We found even what we thought could have been even another child. We know they had 10 who lived, but there, remember Josh, we found the one marker at that cemetery that could have been one that I thought maybe Birdie buried that, you know, a, a, an infant who died. Did we ever figure that out? We did. We ever figure that one out? Yeah, that, that was a big mystery because no. you're looking at the different uh, mm -hmm. plaques and you're like, wait. And I think it was only uh, the baby tragically was only 
like less less than two years old. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it was really young. Um, we. I don't think we officially figured that one out. That was one of the challenges of this case because Poland is such a small town um, and it feels like all the plumber kids just kind of dispersed to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really tricky trying to find the family history and going all the way back. And Caitlin, uh, you know, I, I, I can't talk her up enough because she's so amazing at Aww. what she does and she's such a great producer. I but miss she, Josh. She, um, you know, she literally had to contact some family members and and the 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 phone was hung up uh, several times Wow, uh, on her. And, and at points she would say, hey, Josh, do you mind, you know, trying to contact this person? And, you know, and it, I think one person wanted uh, $100,000, you know, in cash Are dollars. Are you kidding? And, <laughs> yeah, the, I'll talk to you. But so, so, that really because we do these stories for the family and to honor these victims um you know some people can say it's a little exploitive but we want to tell these are voiceless uh people who lost their lives tragically and i feel like one of the reasons caitlin and i and all the other people the team do these are to be able to kind of retell their stories because nobody um deserves to be murdered so tragically Um, and so that, you know, that was the, the toughest part. And so one of the biggest days I think is Caitlin came in again, um, and said, I have a family member and we, we should talk uh, a little bit about Tommy, but Tommy Plummer and his mother, Jackie, who was married into the family, but he was the nephew of, uh, Gene and Georgia. And, uh, he's fantastic. I mean, if you watch the episode, he's great. Tommy is is such a character. Like Lessa Blondie, he also has all these great one-liners that Uh I've never, I've never heard uh, heard before. Uh, You know, charm the warts off of a frog. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Or you know, these two girls were tighter, tighter than pantyhose. uh, Two sizes. (laughs) Too small. Right. Um, So it, it was just once we got a hold of him because that's the key interview. Uh, to tie it. And, and also, you know, part of our strategy, Lisa, is that we interview everyone uh, up front and then we interviewed you last. So you were the connective tissue kind of putting oh, that all I together. See. OK. And, and you did obviously an amazing job because Thank you're, you. you're a pro through and through. Thank you. And that was I wondered how because uh, how this is done is you were there and it seems like we might have had two screens of people I was talking to and maybe one was the art directors, somebody else, but you, you were asking the questions. And so you were, I, as a reporter, anyone who's been a reporter knows you ask the questions, you know, that help fill in the, the holes you have, if you have the skeleton of your story. So now I see you had the skeleton of your story. You knew where we were going and you knew what you needed to tie a big pink bow around it. Yeah. And, and and a big shout out. The other person that's on that screen who's kind of uh, is our director of photography. So that was oh, that's Mike, who it was. Yeah. That was Michael Loxie. And he yeah. basically works with our uh, AC, our assistant camera operator, Craig, I think it was for, yeah, for it was your Craig. interview. Uh-huh. Um, and, and basically they set it all up. So once, you know, once they give me the go, I mean, we sign off on the look of it and we, we usually send a screen grab to our executive producer, Bob Weiss. Uh, and so everybody kind of tweaks. We want to make you look great. We want to make the couch look great. Right. Um, and you know, so then, so yeah, so, uh, Mike Loxie is a, a 
very well-respected director of photography. And he was the other person that was monitoring and helping set up. Well, it was perfect in the way, and it was a really rainy night that night. And it was a Saturday night. We, I was here, you know, way past my bedtime. It was like nine o'clock at night <laughs> and, you know, cause we're recording, trying to get it. And then, you know, you guys came back and said, look, we, we have some other things we just want to look at. Cause you want to make the story sound good because Poe in Arkansas for those in Arkansas know that's where Justin Moore is from. He's a, uh, country music star, and is proud of his roots. And that town at one time obviously had more people because of, uh, I think, this, the mill that was in town, some other things. But it's a tiny little town. Remember when we drove up and down the highway, that was it. It was We said it wasn't even half a mile of road that we were covering. So, Caitlin, then let me ask you, when, when you're going... I mean, we're all good at Googling, right? We all have our PhD in Googling, but you had to Google legal documents, which really is um, an advanced degree. (laughs) So when you would get some of these things, did you yell Eureka? Like, did your husband and son know mom found a trinket? (laughs) She, She found a jewel? Well, here's the thing. So there, there are legal processes that we have to go through in order to request these records. And those are called you know, FOIA requests. Right. And it's hard sometimes to know if you want the, if you want to contact the local PD, if you want to talk to sometimes CHP. If, so that, that can be a whole tangled web. And so typically what um, you know, and, and Josh would agree, what you end up doing is calling ahead really to investigative entities like detectives. Um, sometimes coroners can be really helpful. You just, you have to feel it out. Each case is really, really different. And one of the exceptional, I don't want to call it difficulties because it, it's, it makes it fun for me, frankly. But one of the things that's really fascinating to keep in mind as you're moving through these stories, Lisa, especially for Twisted Sisters, is if you're covering a case for Twisted Sisters, this means that the whole family is related to the victim and the perpetrator, typically. Uh Uh-huh. And the family lines that are drawn in these circumstances are really complicated. And, you know, one of the things that Josh and I talked about over and over again through all of the episodes, you know, that we work together on is truthfully, in order for something like this to happen between two sisters, there's typically a long history of betrayal and sadness and darkness. And, you know, I I think that, you know, the Weaver story is a perfect example of that. You know, it's why our show has, you know, this amazing, captivating feeling, because in order to know how this could happen, you have to go back. And that's what we do. Um, But (laughs) When you're me, you're kind of going in blind because typically news outlets will decide how they want to tell the story. And that's the story that gets told over and over and over again. And when you start to peel back the layers, sometimes there's some, you know, it gets more complicated than that. And of course, it's more complicated because we're talking about human beings. Um, So you're going through these court records, you're going through these police reports and it's just the beginning. It really is. It's if things change once you get a family member on the phone always. And that's what makes this job so exciting. 
And you get lawyers involved because Josh, I even asked you during our interview, you would ask a question. I said, I want to make sure I'm not overstating something. And you said, no, we've vetted everything. We, we know this story so well, because you have to look at the legal aspect of slander laws, uh, this, you know, slander being involved or, uh, just the marring the name of the dead and, uh, it it just gets a little ticky. So do you, did you then have the lawyers look at what you're doing before you go to produce the segment or do they look afterwards and go, you're fine? Well, it, it's um, it's a 10 step process. Um, we um, basically, like Caitlin said, you get the police files, you get the court records, you look at uh, articles that were written during the time, you know, this one's going way back, you know, to 1993. So that's, that's a long time to go. And, and there, there wasn't the internet back then. Um, right. so a lot of these things, you just have to really, that's why I call her a pit bull because you gotta, you know, you get rejected a lot doing what we do. Uh, and you have to figure out ways of really getting all these things in. So, um, you know, you get all those records and then we write up, uh, you know, we'll write up a, a pitch and then we'll write up an outline and that gets vetted, but kind of by our legal team before we even go out to shoot. Um, and then all the interviews are kind of done. And then when we come back to L.A., there's a writer. In this case, we had an amazing writer who also edited the story, Paul Yates, who is uh, an amazing uh, editor and writer and, and incredible to work with and has been doing true crime for many years. Um, and then he'll start going through the interviews uh, and, and we talk back and forth and I'll highlight which interview I really liked and emotional points that came out and, you know, anything, you know, like Caitlin said, things change when you get out into the field. There's memories. You talk to family members and they go, oh, you know what? Literally on camera. I forgot that. But and then hmm. they'll tell you some crazy story. Um, we, we just I always feel really comfortable because in this case we had. Obviously, the lead detective, Steve Moore, uh, Jack McQuarrie, who is the prosecutor, right. he's a great guy, knows knows this case through and through, reread all the, the files that he had before uh, going into the interview. And then you have Lesa Blondie, and we also interviewed uh, Lou, um, who was the defense attorney for Georgia. Um, I forget his last name. Mar six, Mark six or something. It's like M A R C. Yes. There's Lou. a Z in there and an S and a K, I think. And I think it's Llewellyn. Um, and you know, he, he's, he actually represented Georgia Weaver. So wow. you know, you know, we, we do vet this. Um, we go through, you know, many script versions after when it's written and we have a great, our company has a great legal team and then, uh, investigation discovery, Big shout out. Um, they're, they're incredible partners and in working with, and um, they also have a legal team. So there's a lot of vetting that goes through um, and, and we're careful and we try to really stick to the facts of the case and, and as they're presented. And when, when it's gone to court, those are facts. So you have the court records when the police, when you have police reports, those are the facts of the case and facts do matter. Yeah. And so we try to stick the best we can. And that's not to say there's not little things that slip through the crack, but, you know, in terms of slander and, you know, we always try to be respectful and we're always appreciative to everyone who comes on our show. Well, that's one thing you even said to me when we were about to start rolling. Um, I, I said something snarky about the case because that's, you know, the cloth I'm cut from. And you said you you can be you, Lisa. But you said, remember, we are talking about people 
who have lost a woman who lost her life. You know, they're, you want to be respectful to the dead. And I've kind of never forgotten that, that that is a good way to look at that. And as a news reporter, I know that as well, but I kind of moved out of news reporter shoes reading the story because it's kind of sensational. In fact, Caitlin, are you, who started putting it together that there was a dead or he did finally die, didn't he? The brother-in-law, he was sick. He was very ill in the hospital. Um, and now aren't we thinking maybe he was poisoned? Oh, man. Great question. Um, this was so to kind of also answer a question that you asked a little earlier in this that, you know, proof of concept, Josh, I'm just now remembering. Um, this was one of the very first cases that we started to look into. And at face value, this case already has everything you want to produce. You know, it's um, it's 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 an unbelievable act of, of, of callous murder. Uh, it's complicated because these are older women, you know, it's not your typical, you know, love triangle. Um, we knew there was going to be a backstory there. What we did not understand is how storied and complicated Georgia's, uh, history was. And we, not, nothing, has been proven um, apart from obviously the, the the poisonings that she was brought up on charges for. Uh, but yeah, there there are a lot of people in that really feel that Georgia had had harmed other individuals in the same way that ended up ultimately killing her sister. There there are many people who believe that. And was it with Georgia, the smoking gun? Was it the rat poison that was in her purse at the motel in Southwest Little Rock? Yes. Yeah. I mean, when they found the body, well, it wasn't just the poison. I mean, it it really is. It's a testament to Jack and his team because it's not just that they found the poison. It's that they found a a corresponding receipt that only could have, you know, that that stocked this specific poison in a very specific time frame that lined up with access, you know, that Georgia had to this store that was on her way back and forth to where she was living. Um, A lot of what ended up uh, convicting Georgia was frankly circumstantial evidence, but it was just so overwhelming. You know, she had clearly tried to forge documents. She had clearly tried to, yeah, she had a rap sheet going into this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question. I mean, there are just aren't many women in their late fifties that she looks so sweet and grandmotherly (laughs) in the pictures. Yeah. And she had this sinister secret that were secrets that she was hiding. And one of them was she already had a rap sheet. And we know that, that she was, um, was she convicted on those charges? Yeah, she was, she served she, time, right? She, she was, she, she was actually, um, and, and Caitlin might know this a little bit better, but I believe that when they started looking at her, she was already in custody for fraud jo- charges. Right, right. She was yes. writing, writing checks out. So when they got her, she was already sitting in jail at that point. And it took them, you know, it took, it took months for them to really, pieced this together. Um, one, one of the great interviews, it's a, sh- a small interview, but a great guy and um, was CSI that we brought in. And he, you know, had to go through all the trash and all the items wow. in the home. Um, and, and I guess they liked beer. They had lots of beer <laughs> bottles. Uh, these girls like to drink. Um, 
and sit around the kitchen table and, and just chat. But, you know, that's they ended up finding the arsenic in the, the NyQuil and, and uh, wow. the punch. And that's even worse that, that she put it in NyQuil. So here, here, take this medicine. It's going to make you feel better. Yeah. But, well, but- what's great about it is that, well, not great. I'm sorry. What is sensational, sensational about yeah. it. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> is she was very strategic about the way that she poisoned her sister. Um, you know, talking to Stan Wilhite, who had analyzed all of the different pieces of evidence from the house. He he I remember him talking to me about what he was just really struck by, which was, you know, Georgia knew exactly what her sister was drinking and she poisoned those things specifically. So she poisoned her. She knew that her sister took NyQuil every night to help her sleep. Mm -hmm. She poisoned that. Um, She poisoned uh, some punch in the fridge that she liked to drink. And and also Jeannie had a very specific brand of beer that she enjoyed. Here's the other thing to think about considering the beer. There are no batches of beer in people's refrigerator, right? So Mm -hmm. that meant that Georgia would open each can and poison each can and hand that to her sister. That is multiple, multiple acts of intentional harm for your own sister who had, if you watch the episode, bailed Georgia out so many times. Uh, It's, it's a really sad it's on top of it being, you know, crazy. It's depressing. I mean, and the, and then, of course, as we know, there were other people that, you know, came to the house to have lunch that were also tragically named by, by this poisoning. Is this where we discuss codependency or is that a whole nother episode? OK, how much, how much time I do you have? No. We, <laughs> we don't have enough for the codependency and enabling activities of that family. But I remember this all every time I hear the story, I think of uh, the Dixie chick saying, Earl, those black eyed peas, they tasted all right to me. Oh, <laughs> you I, know? I love Goodbye Earl is one of my favorite yes, and songs. That's, that's how um, Georgia, the, the perpetrator, uh, she was convicted of the crime, but Georgia to me was going to her sister every time was, well, I think that NyQuil tastes fine to me. And that ice, mm-hmm. that lemonade or whatever she was drinking. But the crazy thing was there were other victims that came and I'm surprised. Wouldn't you put your body over that lemonade and go, no, 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 no. But and no, she fed it to other people. That's the other part of it that um, began to really kind of wash over me as we worked on this story because, I, and I, I don't want to rank or or in any way minimize the different way that ways that people can die. Um, but there is something different about shooting someone and then slowly poisoning them. Oh yeah, um, and then going beyond that, knowing that you are endangering other people in this act. Um, and the other, the, the the thing that really makes me sad about the story is something that, and the thing that I think everybody can relate to, especially if you've got family members that are difficult, we'll say, um, those, those bonds run so deep and that hope springs eternally for the people in your family. You want to believe, oh, they've changed and they're here taking care of me in my time of need. Yeah, no. Um, mm-hmm. And it's such a sad uh a window of opportunity that, that Georgia walked through in order to commit this crime. That's the thing that, that really stuck with me about this story specifically. And to your point, um, Jeannie's granddaughter was very 
harmed. Uh, she was harmed by by this poison and she she fell very ill. And then, of course, there's Sheila Cinco, who was poisoned and was never physically the same. I mean, she survived, but mm-hmm. she basically had autoimmune issues for the rest of her life after this experience. Yeah. Arsenic's not something you, you want in your system ever. Yeah. I think about, um, you know, in anger, you would take a gun and you might shoot somebody. You know, I, I, I put myself, I empathize when I watch my little true crime stories and sure. in anger. And, but then, and then there was a story um, of an, it's a Little Rock case where the girl stabbed her mother, not once, not twice, not 30, not 40, but 77 times. So then that again, but it's it's rage of the moment. That's what surprised me about this story. Georgia would sprinkle a little here, sprinkle a little there. She was, she had a long fuse in one respect because she knew it wasn't going to take it. It wasn't going to do it in one dose. She kept, she'd go back and fill that NyQuil bottle up again that lemonade, whatever they were drinking. So she's just sat around and, you know, put her cig down long enough to kind of twiddle her thumbs and then probably took another drag and said, I'm waiting. Well, I think ultimately that's why she got convicted, Lisa, because there is no gray area about what she was trying to accomplish there. Right. You know, (laughs) it wasn't an oops. Right. You can't say like, I don't know what happened. I just, I accidentally poisoned my sister 37 times or whatever it ended up being. Because the numbers, as you'll see in the episode, were off the charts. The 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 evidence of arsenic in poor yeah. Jimmy's body was was wild. There was never going to be a hope of recovery for her ultimately, and that's what's just nuts about it. And I think Tommy Plummer really sums it up when he says, "You know, doing a poisoning like that, it's the coward's way out. It yeah. it's easy. You know, at least if you shoot somebody." It's in the moment, the heat of the moment, if you're stabbing, stabbing deaths are usually a fit of rage and Mm -hmm. and passion. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, there's there's a coward's way out. And, you know, uh, again, to Lessa Blondie, who's uh, a soundbite king, um, sick. It's sick. It's totally depraved to do something and and to do something to your sister. And, And let's not forget, she was doing it to gain things. She was trying to get, you know, the the bank record. She was spending Jean's money. She was gaining all these things with her sister. The sicker she got, um, she was gaining all these things and benefiting her own life. So it, it's just, you know, it's it's hard to imagine that anyone would do that to to anybody, but especially the people closest to you. Well, in in our chapter of blood is thicker than water, um, her husband and and people around. Uh, Jeannie kept saying, this girl is, I know it's your sister, but she's not good news. Yeah. And she just kept, I mean, going back. And that's where, again, you don't, and I'm not trying to trivialize anybody's relationship with a family member. It's your family member. So that's a real difficult place to be to say, well, you know, I've helped her out all these times. And because they did, they were estranged for those few years when, remember, Georgia ran off with the money and it wasn't. You know, we're not talking about Vanderbilt or Rockefeller money. No, no. It, it wasn't a lot of money. And she ran off with the money um, from that inheritance that Birdie left her. How much was that? Was it? It was, o- it was only like a couple thousand dollars. That's what I thought. Which I, it was, it's nothing to 
necessarily sneeze at, but it's... No, but there were 10 children too. So I figured the pot <laughs> had to be split 10 ways. It, you'd, it'd be easier just to go get a lottery ticket. You'd probably win something a little more than what you had. Josh, could you... You didn't talk to or you weren't able to gain access to uh, Jeannie's... Uh, does she have one or two children? I forget now. I'm thinking of the family tree. Were you able to talk to any of Jeannie's kids? I think we we did speak to one, Caitlin. Okay, I couldn't um, remember. Yeah, we oh, spoke, yeah, we have spoke over the phone, and you know, it, it's always a tricky balance because you you want to have them tell their story. It's their opportunity to come and 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 share with it, but it's also the worst thing that's probably ever happened in this family's history. Oh, of course. I hope. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and so that's always a, a tricky balance of of pushing. And uh, trying to get them to come on board versus, um, you know, walking away and going, okay, we got to find another avenue. Um, again, Caitlin, you know, was amazing in finding Tommy Plummer and Jackie, yeah. and they knew the story on the peripheral. Um, and I think they added in a lot of components and really established what these sisters were like growing up. Um, I love the descriptions that Tommy gives about the, them growing up on the farm um, and the lifestyle. And then obviously Birdie's mental decline, which, right. you know, Georgia maybe had a lot of Bernie, Birdie's, um, you know, uh, medical issues or uh -huh. mental issues. Um, we, we think that she was maybe bipolar. Um, so... You know, and also with Georgia, there's this trail with her. It, it's not just the arsenic. It seems like the arsenic came as she got older um, and, and thinking about murder. But remember all the fires that she did oh, for I've insurance? Forgotten. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there, that's right. The There were two. Three. Three, three fires. fires. That's right. That's yep. insane. Yeah. So now, she was collecting money from those. Yeah. That's what do you do for a living? Well, I cheat people out of uh, money. Um, now, Caitlin, are you the person then who has to make the phone call? Because it's a, it's a difficult call to call somebody I know as a reporter. It's a difficult thing in uh, situations that are, I mean, obviously in, like this, to have to ask somebody, do you mind talking on camera? Are you the person who does that? That is my job description. Ooh. I, I like, I, I like to tell people that I am a social worker for the universe because, <laughs> well, okay. And, and this, this is, this is the truth. The, the truth of the, at the end of the day is that trauma and you're, you know, you were a reporter, you understand this. Um, in my opinion, trauma works one of two ways. One way is people seal up and they never talk about it again. They yeah. never want to yeah. talk about it again. The other the other way is that people can't stop talking about yeah, it. They can't shut up. They can't. Right. It's how they process. And in my opinion, um, these experiences for those individuals can be incredibly therapeutic. There's there's an episode in this season. I'm not going to give away, but we I feel Josh and I were able to bring some closure to some people doing what we do. And um you know, that's why, yeah, my job is hard. It's tough, but, and I won't get into my story, but, you know, I've had, you know, people sit me down and, and ask me how I'm doing. And they asked me at the right time. And I was able to have a big moment of catharsis. And ultimately that's kind of what I'm doing. You know, I'm just catching these people as they're sharing. And, um, what was, what was particularly tricky about doing this from home is, I'd be calling people and I'd say, you know, so tell me again about how you felt when 
you know, you found out your sister was dead and then my son would be in the background yelling, I'm Hulk, you know, so that, that was, <laughs> that was not, right. that was not ideal. I will actually say though, that I think it, at least this is what I chose to believe is that it endeared me a little bit more to these people. Um, and so, yeah, to answer your question, it's hard. I get hung up on, I've had a couple of people tell me to search my soul which, you know, I did. Why not? Somebody asked you to do it. It's worth doing. Um, But, you know, I my mindset is these people went through something unbelievable and the odds are better in my favor that they feel like they want to share with people Um, because who do they really have to relate to? You know, who, who do, who do you call that, that understands? Yeah. My mom systematically poisoned this other, you know, her sister, yeah. you know, it's, it, it changes things. And, um, I think that there is release in this process. For sure. And, and can I just add on to that? You know, Caitlin does a lot of those intro calls and then, and then Bill, you know, she'll come to myself or to Bob and, and say, Hey, you know, uh, this happened and then we'll have other questions. So she'll go back. So she's building a a good rapport with these, uh, potential interviewees and, you know, Caitlin and I, you know, worked for months and months and months. And, and, you know, one of the cases that she's talking about, they're all amazing in their own way. Uh, But, you know, she, she, I hate, I I hope you don't mind me saying this, Caitlin. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) But but she called me and, and she goes, Josh. And, and I never heard her just the way she said, Josh. And, and she said, she broke down, she started crying and, and, and it was, it was, um, you know, it's hard to take this in because we're, we're processing so much and, uh, we had a good, you know, she, she cried it out and we, you know, um, and, and we, we left and I had to then go talk and interview the person that she was talking about. And I remember I called her and I, I was <laughs> like in cried. tears. Oh, like, gosh. oh my God. I, I, you wow. know, we're both like, ah! and, and that's the intensity, but there, there is something, there's a release for, for people to be able to tell their stories. We, we all love, I mean, that's why social media is so big. Everybody loves to have their voice heard yes. and everyone, I truly believe everyone has a, a, a movie in them. They have a story, they have a book and these people want to tell us the, the most tragic moments of their family history and life. And the fact when they trust you, and believe in you that you're going to be respectful and, and do the best job and stick with the facts and the emotion of the case. Um, it, it's it, it's a, a really, really powerful thing. And it's a skill that Caitlin's amazing at um, and, and that you have to kind of grow into. And and it's tough because you have to live with that, you know, every day. But how did you get how do you get the stories, Josh? Who calls the stories for of uh, either the production company 44 blue or investigation discovery channel this is uh you know it's uh we have a crack research team that that uh you know we work with the network sometimes they provide stories uh we scour the internet we do you know we have so many research tools and and the researchers on the show are incredible um, we just try to track down what the most interesting stories are going to be. And, and it's tough because you have so many restrictions. It's got to be sisters. It's got to be, yeah. um, it's got to have twists and turns. You want to have red herrings that you can go to, uh, cause you don't want to give away everything up front. And so it's, it's tricky, but 
amazingly, this season, which I think is extremely strong, it is. Um, it, it there's not every story is unique and different, but they all have this emotional element to it. You know, you you feel the empathy for Tommy Plummer as he's talking about his favorite aunt who did this to mm-hmm. his other favorite aunt. You yeah. know, um, you you we with the season premiere, which is um, that happened last week. Um, it's an unbelievable story about the uh, the Gilberts in upstate New York. And, and there's a serial killer involved. And and it's such um, y- your heart breaks on all these stories. So but, but I guess it's you want to look at the twists and turns. You want to look at empathetic characters. Um, and I think that every episode this season and I hope people will watch and, and tune in has that and has a lot of, you know, raw emotion, because, again, oftentimes I think there's like three or four stories where the main interview family member will say, I've never publicly spoken about wow. this story. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and when they open up that in the beginning of the show, I think as a viewer and I know for myself as a viewer, when I watch um, anything, um, you know, that's what that's what hooks you in. And that's kind of the journey that you go on. And and Weaver has amazing twists and turns, amazing characters. And um, I, I hope people will to continue to watch and and, uh, yeah, great, and, and learn from episode. these cases, you yeah. know, yeah. learn yeah. something. So to add to add on to what Josh is saying too, the thing that again, to talk up our amazing show um, is one one of the things that we have to think about when we're putting these stories together is how the show tells stories. And that sounds simple, but you know, let's to compare it to something like forensic files, right? I mean, that's a classic, classic true crime show. Um, well, one thing that separates twisted sisters from forensic files is we don't have a narrator. The other thing is we're not telling the story from a law enforcement or forensic perspective. Two thirds, the first two thirds of a Twisted Sisters show is told from the family. It's told, you know, from the perspective of before. We're giving the backstory, you know. So the the thing that I love about working on that show is that you know uh, there are a lot of different kinds of true crime mediums out there that really focus on the act itself. They sensationalize the crime scene. They you know, get into all of that. And I, look, I am a life uh, lifetime true crime fan, so I'm not necessarily saying that that's a bad thing. But I think what separates our show apart and what makes it difficult in a good way to find the right stories is that we have to be looking for relevant people at the core of these things that happen that can tell the story from the ground level, you know. Um, and that was the other big challenge, putting putting the show together. And but it's worth it because the way that these stories get told um, is incredibly emotional. And it was emotionally told last night. You guys did a great job. Um, I, so that's two episodes in. Remember, I'm not good at math, but that leaves you six more for <laughs> season three of Twisted Sisters. I uh, can't wait for season four because I'm sure it'll be renewed. And a great job from both of you. Thanks for letting me be a part of the team. I, I felt like family and I really appreciate that. Thanks for spending this time with me. If you would subscribe to the Lisa Fisher Said podcast, tell a friend. And for show notes and more information, go to lisafishersaid.com. Oh,